morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I do just want to be up front and let you know I've been battling a sinus infection all week, so if I go into a coughing fit and pass out up here, just come dump some water on my face and prop me up and I'll keep rolling. So, um, I do want to take a moment just to say from Lacey and I that we really appreciate how welcome First Baptist has made us feel in these first two months. Um, just thank you so much for everything that you've done to make our transition back to gray very, very smooth. Um, we're just really overwhelmed by God's grace in bringing us here and just in our short time of serving alongside you. So thank you for that. When I preached back in January, I made a joke at David Snow's expense, which he has reminded me of a few times. And this morning, I made a promise to him that I wouldn't do that today. But I do want to offer to you, and I'm a man of my word, so I'm not going to do that, but I do want to offer to you, if you feel like you need a good David Snow story, my dad's here today, he's been friends with him for 40 years, and he has plenty, and I really can't control what's said after the service, so <laughs> if you feel like you need that today, Kim Washburn is here for you. <clears throat> Over the last three weeks, uh, Pastor Randy has been preaching us through the Roman road which is where the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans systematically sketches out a salvation plan to Jesus Christ. He clearly and comprehensively gives us a structured path to Jesus Christ. So we started on Super Bowl Sunday, February 7th. We started with Genesis, with the foundational truths of creation, that God created us, and then as, as sinful humans we fell and we were separated from him. And then we started going down the Roman road. Three weeks ago, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all born with a sinful nature. We strive to be moral and just, but we fall short over and over again. And then the next week, we got to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for that sin, the punishment is death. The punishment is eternal separation from God. But God offers us a free gift in Christ Jesus, a free gift of salvation. And that brought us to last week, Romans 10, 9 and 10, where we have to take the ball into our court and we have to respond to the offer from God. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one, con one confesses and is saved. So we have this free gift of salvation that's offered to us. We have to accept it. We have to place our trust in Christ as Savior and as Lord. In a nutshell, that's the gospel, right? We're born sinners who are separated from God, and God sent his son to live a perfect human life of righteousness, to die on the cross the death that we deserve so that we might have eternal life. If we place our trust in him, we can be adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. That's the gospel. He lays it out clearly and concisely for us. 
promises of God for reconciliation are clearly explained. But we still struggle. We still wonder. We still lay awake at night. We still crave assurance of our salvation. I can remember the first time wrestling with this. I was around eight years old. My brother Tarver was four years old. I was a new Christian. I was wanting to beat down doors and share the gospel with everybody. I couldn't understand why uh, people wouldn't join me in believing, especially Tarver. He needed to get on board. Um, But the thing you have to understand about Tarver is that Tarver and I are very different people. Very different. Tarver is one of the most laid-back human beings that I've ever met. And I was nothing short of an uptight child. I was adorable. (laughs) But very uptight. I had to know the exact scheduled plan of every activity that our family was doing. If we're out running errands and mom says, okay, Bo, we're going to the grocery store and then we're going to CVS and then we're going to the bank. Lord help Susan Washburn if CVS jumped up a turn because she was going to hear it from little Bobo in the back. Mom, this isn't the bank. What are we doing? Why are we deviating from the plan? Mom, what's going on? We had a clear, structured, verbal agreement of how this day was going to work. What are you doing to me? So needless to say, the laid-back second child was a breath of fresh air for Kim and Susan. You know, Tarver's almost laid back to a fault. And one of my favorite stories about Tarver is he was around two years old, and my parents were starting to plant the seeds of potty training. And, you know, they were building them up, and they'd say, Tarver, don't you want to use the potty like a big boy? Don't you want to get out of those diapers? Don't you want to be like your big brother? Tarver looked up and said, Nah, I'm fine like this. Eventually, Tarver would be potty trained, and he would years later accept Christ as his Lord and Savior as well. But I'll never forget that wrestling with my brother's spiritual state. I'll never forget those, the trouble sleeping at night. I'll never forget asking my mom and dad, Mom, you know, if Tarver died tonight, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? I vividly remember praying on his behalf. I vividly remember having a desperate need to know my brother's eternal state. And I'm sure many of us have been in similar situations, whether it be our personal spiritual state or the spiritual state of a family member or a loved one. We all wrestle with this. We've all wrestled with God about salvation. This morning we're going to be in Romans 10, 13. What I want to do today is I want to offer you some tools to help you find that assurance. And we're going to start with two promises of God in Romans 10, 13. And then from that, we're going to walk through two questions for personal evaluation. So if you'll stand with me in honor to reading God's word, we'll read Romans 10, 13 together. For everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you have a seat? <coughs> so the first promise of the Apostle Paul is a simple one. Salvation is available to all. It's a simple point, but we have to look at it from a historical and a current perspective. When Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's quoting Joel 2.32, which says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. We have to understand when Joel speaks of everyone in the Old Testament, he's speaking in a much smaller context. He's speaking about the nation of Israel. Everyone to Joel is the Israelites. The survivors that Joel mentions are those who will receive the promised blessing of God in spite of their nation's sin. Everyone is Israel. Then we have Paul here in Romans on the other side of the cross. When Christ has walked the earth as a man, he's died, he's risen on the third day, and he's given us that Acts 1-8 mandate to go out and take his message to the world. So for Paul, everyone means everyone. In verse 12 before, he says, Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles alike, everyone has an opportunity to be a part of God's chosen people. Again, a very simple point, but it's a point that we don't need to overlook. We have to understand that everyone has God's grace available to them. From Billy Graham to the ISIS member, from Rick Warren to the corrupt politician, from Andy Stanley to the KKK member. Salvation is available to all. We have to understand that even the most devout, unregenerate, atheist person who hates God with all their heart is one prayer, one sermon, one gospel-centered conversation, one good deed away from placing their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he's not running out of grace. So don't give up on your family and don't give up on your friends who need Jesus. Salvation is available to all. The second promise of God in Romans 10.13 is that salvation can be attained by placing our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 10.13 assures us that if we call out on the name of the Lord that we'll be saved. And when Paul talks about calling out, he's referring back to what we talked about last week in verses 9 and 10. He's talking about a confession with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and our belief in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We're talking about a two-step process here. First, we have to place our trust in Christ as Savior. We have to confess our belief that he came to the earth and took the form of a man that he lived a sinless life, and that he went to Calvary, he died on the cross in our place, and he rose again on the third day. Our only hope when we stand before a holy God in judgment is to point to that cross, is to point to that work, to point to that act on our behalf, that death of substitution. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our only boast, our only case, our only hope on Judgment Day is in the work of Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing we can do 
on our own to obtain heaven. Our only hope is in Christ. So first we have to place our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And second, we have to commit our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. Salvation requires more than a verbal confession. It's it's more than lip service. James 2.19 says, You believe God is one, you do well. But the demons believe and shudder. The demons understand what Christ did. They understand who Christ is. They know the work. They know the truth. But they reject it. They turn from it. And they'll spend eternity apart from him. They refuse to take that second step. And Matthew 7.21 brings up a similar idea. It says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the work of my Father who is in heaven. And I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I don't want to get off track. There's nothing we can do to obtain heaven. There's nothing within us. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no work that we can do to obtain salvation. But the point needs to be made that faith that says but does not do is sometimes really unbelief. This is the argument of James when he says faith without works is dead. True faith in Jesus Christ inevitably leads to a life of service of Jesus Christ as our Lord. Our hearts need to believe what our mouths confess. Our actions need to believe what we say. We need to back up our words. And this is important in our cultural context here in the Bible Belt. When we were living in Kentucky, um, going to Southern Seminary, we have students at Southern Seminary from all 50 states, and I think 40, 43 countries. So we have people from all over the world. And so you'd meet someone from Michigan or New York or California, and they'd want to know what the church is like in Georgia. And they were always so amazed when I talked about the Bible Belt, and I would tell them that sometimes in the Deep South, in certain circles, it's more unusual for someone to say they don't believe in Christ than for them to believe in Christ. It's, it's more unusual to be a non-Christian than a Christian. You know, and I watched the presidential primary coverage yesterday. They mentioned a voter block called non-church-attending evangelicals. I'm not even 100% what that is. But within this culture, this Bible Belt culture, we have people who confess with their mouth that they love Christ, that they're committed to Christ, but they don't take that next step. They don't make him Lord of their lives. We surely have people in our community, in our families, that fall into these categories. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, Matthew 7.21 is one of the most terrifying verses in the entire Bible. Imagine people that have spent their lives in Christian culture but just missed the mark. People who call out to Jesus on Judgment Day in utter confusion. People who understand the truths about Jesus Christ but never place their faith in his gospel and never fully commit their lives to him.
true faith in Jesus Christ should lead to a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. We have to take that step to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. So those are the two promises of God in Romans 10, 13. That salvation is available to all people. And that salvation can be attained if we make Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. Now I want to bring up two questions for your own personal evaluation. If we're to experience assurance of salvation in our lives, we have to take a step back and prayerfully consider where we are. The first question is this. Do you have a present trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Our testimony has to be more than a confession from years ago. It has to be a present trust. No doubt there will be times when we fall away, when we slip up. I can speak from experience. I, I've doubted my salvation before. And for those of you that heard my testimony, when I got to college, I was sprinting as hard as I could away from a call to gospel ministry. And with that, I started to separate myself from God, and my life started to unravel a little bit. And there were nights in college where I would lay awake, and I would wonder if a confession of faith and a baptism at eight years old still applied 13, 13 years later to a lazy, lustful, bar-hopping, selfish, foolish, foul-mouthed 21-year-old college student who had no interest in serving Christ. And it kept me up. There were times I was concerned that I was losing my grip on Christ. But by the grace of God, and to the glory of God, I stand here today because Christ never lost his grip on me. Our Christian walk will inevitably have peaks and valleys. We'll certainly feel closer to God on some days than we will on others. But we have to ask ourselves these questions. Do we believe the words of Romans 10, 13? Do you trust that Christ will save you from eternity in hell. On judgment day, are you fully prepared to point to the cross and say, that is my only boast. That is my only way. That is all that I know. Do you have a present trust in Christ for your salvation? And secondly, we have to ask ourselves, do you see a long-term pattern of spiritual growth in your Christian life. We should be able to look back over our Christian life and see the work of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. We should have a conviction to follow the commands of God and to live lives that produce good fruit in Jesus' name. With the understanding that the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint, even the greatest of us will fall short. You know, consider the Apostle Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, he's the first disciple to understand who Christ is. He's the first guy to get it. It clicks with him. Christ asks, who do you think I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He was the first disciple to connect the dots, but he was still far from spiritual maturity. Just a few verses later, he calls Christ into question, and Christ says, get behind me, Satan. And a few chapters later, when Christ is arrested and taken off to be crucified, he denies him three times. And with all of that knowledge of what's coming, Christ still says in verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even though he failed and he slipped up, he was still the greatest disciple. He was a member of Christ's inner circle. And he was the foundation. He was the rock of the early Christian church. But he wasn't perfect. It's not about where we've been. It's not about what we've done. It's not about yesterday. It's about where we're heading. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to slip up. But we should be able to look back to our original conversion and see a pattern of slow spiritual growth. As the years go by, we should increase in prayer. We should increase in worship. We should increase in service. We should increase in evangelism. Little by little, we should look more and more like Jesus Christ with each passing day. So I ask you, do you see a long-term pattern of spiritual growth in your life? And I bring these two questions up today. Because they are of the utmost importance in our lives. The book of Matthew says one day Christ is going to return in glory. And he's going to separate all of human history into sheep and goats. Saved and unsaved. Found and lost. That day is coming. So as we move to a time of invitation this morning, I want you to ponder these questions. I want you to prayerfully consider these questions. Do you have a present trust in Christ? Do you see a long-term pattern of spiritual growth in your Christian walk? Because the answer to these questions is going to leave you in one of two states. It's going to take you to a state of comfort, or it's going to take you to a state of conviction. And if it takes you to a state of comfort, if you answer yes, if you have a present trust in Christ, if you see a process of spiritual maturity in your life, then trust in the promises of Romans 10, 13. Trust in Christ for your salvation. Find that assurance. But if you're in a state of conviction, if your answer is no, or if you're unsure, I'm here to tell you it's not too late. As long as there's breath in your lungs, it's not too late. You can trust in the promises of God. You can turn from your life of sin. You can trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You can stop worrying and wondering and speculating about your eternal state. You can walk through the rest of your life knowing that God has taken you from death to life.
Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for holding me upright today and allowing me to make it through that with just one cough. Lord, I'm so very thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to lift every person up in this room this morning. I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit. Lord, those who have placed their trust in you as Savior and Lord, give them comfort. Give them a calmness. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe haven't committed their life to you. Draw them close to you today. Prick their hearts. Lord, just bring them into your kingdom. Bring them into your family. Bring them from death to life. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we come to a time of invitation, as always, we'll open up the altar for prayer. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to search your heart today. I want you to consider these two questions. If you have any sense of uncertainty, now take that first step to placing your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and walk the aisle and come talk to me. I'll, I'll be here to receive you and I'll be here to pray with you. And if I don't have the answers, we'll find someone who does. And if you're looking for a church family today, I encourage you to join us. I've only been on staff here for two months, but I can tell you that the Lord is alive and well in this place. And this place is already family for my family. So join us. Come be part of our family.